Greetings, and welcome to the NASPO Pulse, where we are monitoring issues in state procurement. We've got our finger on the pulse. I'm your host, Kevin Miner, and we have a very special episode today. Well, every episode is special, but you already knew that. Today, we're talking with the National Association of State Chief Information Officers, NASIO, about cybersecurity. More specifically, we're talking about our new joint publication, Buyer Be Aware, integrating cybersecurity into the acquisition process. It addresses steps that state governments should take to ensure cybersecurity is an integral part of the acquisition process. And who better to talk about this with than my good friend and the Director of Policy and Research at NASIO, Meredith Ward. Meredith, Amanda, and I briefly examined NASIO and NASPO's relationship, the relationship of the CIO and CPO, and of course, our latest publication that can be found at thenaspo.org. This episode of the Pulse Podcast is brought to you by NASPO's 2021 Virtual Reach Conference. NASPO's Reach Virtual Conference is a regional education and connections hub ideal for staff members located in the state central procurement office. Each state is encouraged to send a full complement of staff members and to take advantage of the professional development opportunities targeting the educational needs of state procurement professionals. Registration is now open at 2021reach.naspoevents.org slash registration. Let's take that pulse. Meredith, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Doing great, y'all. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We're so happy that you took some time. Meredith, you are the Director of Policy and Research at NASIO. What are some of your responsibilities in that role? Well, Kevin, thanks for asking. Um, that's a role that I think I've been in now for two years, but um, you know, the last 14 months, time is kind of irrelevant, right? Um, sure. With the, with yeah. the yes. pandemic. So <laughs> yeah. I think it's been about two years, but... Um, two or three, give or take. Couple. Give or take. Uh, it could be 50. I'm not really <laughs> sure. But um, so a lot of initiatives that I had up at NASIO, um, one of the biggest ones are NASIO Deloitte Cyber Study, uh, mm-hmm. which we do every other year. If y'all want to check that out, it's on our website. It's a great um, publication. Thank you. Uh, I work on our CIO survey every single year. I know we're going to be talking about a lot of the projects that I've done uh, with NASPO. Uh, mm-hmm. Procurement's one of my issues that I work on. Workforce, um, you name it, mm-hmm. it's me. So give us some, give us some of your experience in in state cybersecurity issues. So, you know, Kevin, it's interesting. You, you know this about me, but Amanda, you might not, is that I used yeah. to live in uh, in Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. I'm from Kentucky, but then moved up there ah. after I graduated college. And I was uh, an advocate um, or hush, hush, a lobbyist, uh, but I was a good one, I promise. <laughs> um, my last uh, lobbyist position in D.C., I worked with the International Association of Chiefs of Police, and a big component of that was the state police. Um, And that's really where I got introduced to cybersecurity and cybersecurity as it relates to state governments, local governments, Mm -hmm. federal government, uh, all that. And then, you know, at NASIO, I've been here now eight years, I think. And um, I've really been fortunate that I have been able to work with our state chief information security officers. And I know that uh, the NASPO folks uh, know the CISOs in their state. Um, so it's been really kind of great also to see the evolution of how cybersecurity has been taken a lot more seriously in state government. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed that. 
Yeah, I actually did know about your your DC venture, and that's why I wanted to yeah. your stint in DC. So I wanted to prompt you. That's really to tell that that's story. really interesting to have that experience behind yeah. you. And um, and Meredith and I used to uh, we well, we worked in the same building. I don't know if we ever worked together on anything. I was a young younglin. You were. When I started over there with you. But she taught me many things. She is a she is my self proclaimed. She has proclaimed herself my mentor. So yes, absolutely. That's yeah, fine. you were her padawan. <laughs> you, you, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I influenced the young Kevin. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh boy. So let's talk yeah. about um, Nasio and Naspo because we have worked closely together on many projects in the past. So, can you briefly talk about some of the collaboration? that we've done in the past and the relationship between our organizations? Well, you know, this has been one of my um, greatest, I don't know if accomplishments is the, is the right word, but one of the most rewarding things, I'll say that, that I've worked on mm-hmm. um, in my tenure at NASIO because, you know, I got to NASIO in 2013 and, you know, quite frankly, IT procurement was an issue that everyone complained about, CIOs, private sector, and even, you know, some of the procurement folks were like, we don't exactly speak the same language with the CIOs, right? So, you know, honestly, I was just kind of sick of hearing it. And so I thought, well, we got to do something different. And, you know, to NASPO's credit, you guys have been amazing partners to us. And when we said, okay, we want to, you know, do this, you all really signed on board, you know, very quickly. And so, um, in the summer of 2016, we brought CIOs and uh, chief procurement officers together at a meeting in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and we found that a lot of CIOs and CPOs, even from the same state, had never met each other. Wow. Um, yeah. We just kind thought, of wow, it mm-hmm. is. Um, and, you know, if you kind of fast forward through the last five years, we've, you know, released several publications together. We've done... Um, intensive workshops on things Mm -hmm. like negotiations and things like that. And I think, you know, I can see from, uh, you know, I think I told you all that I work on the CIO survey every year and just the level of um, satisfaction with the procurement process has really increased Um, and the dissatisfaction has gone down. So, I mean, of course it can't all be attributed to the work that we've done, but I do think it's a big part. And I think, you know, one of the biggest lessons uh, learned, obviously, is is make sure you have a relationship. You know, CIOs have a relationship with CPOs and vice versa. Um, and I think that it uh, that once you really build that relationship, that's a good foundation for a lot of uh, good things to come. So it's been, like Definitely. I said, very rewarding to uh, to work on this. Yeah, that's I, I actually still have a signed copy of that roundtable from you and Megan. <laughs> wow, uh, it's, it's on my that's right. Book. Our blood, sweat, and tears can be found in that copy, <laughs> too. It's going to be worth big money one day. Yeah, so what is, you, you, you say, bringing chief procurement officials and chief information officers together for the first time, it really relatively has not been that long. Why is that relationship so important? Well, it's important because, you know, technology really touches just about every aspect of our lives these days, and that's certainly true in state government. 
Um, I think that's something, I know that's something that we've seen really heightened over the last 14 months in the pandemic. Absolutely. You know, technology really kind of kept states running. It kept all of us running, right? Yeah. Um, So, you know, because technology moves so fast because it's now a component of a Department of Transportation contract where technology would not have been 15 years ago. Right. um, Or any sort of project in state government when you're bringing in artificial intelligence, you're bringing in data analytics. Um, So it's imperative that the CIO and CPO's office work closely together. Um, I also know, you know, we love our CIOs, but, you know, we also love our acronyms and a lot of terms. Um, You know, one of the things that we a lot of the feedback that that when Megan and I were working on a lot of projects together that we would get is that. You know, the CPO offices, everyone doesn't always understand all the technology terms. And I I can totally relate to that. Um, You know, there's a huge learning curve in a lot of that stuff when I came to NASIO. So that's why we kind of said, if you build relationships, you have regular meetings um, and, you know, CPOs are educating CIO offices on procurement. CIO offices Mm -hmm. are educating CPO offices on the importance of technology, cybersecurity, things like that. Right. Well, and and like you said, between our two organizations, uh, through that relationship, we've been able to create several projects, right? Joint projects along NASPO, NASIO, and other organizations. And our latest joint venture is Buyer Be Aware. Yep. Integrating cybersecurity into the acquisition process. Like I said, this is our latest publication that addresses steps state government should take to ensure cybersecurity is an integral part of the acquisition process. It also builds upon previous acquisition reformation and transformation work and publications from the partnership between NASIO and NASPO that started in 2016. So what prompted this work and what is it really building off of? So I mentioned a little bit about, um, you know, yeah, the the work that we started in 2016 and when we got mm-hmm. CIO, CPOs together and then the negotiations uh, publication that Megan and I worked on. So from there, mm-hmm. what we really have done is kind of built this in layers. So we kind of thought, OK, the foundation is um, helping CIOs and CPOs build a, a relationship. And so we really worked on that for a couple of years. Then we brought in the private sector because they're obviously a huge component of the acquisition process. Um, and you'll notice that we started saying the acquisition process, that's the you know soup to nuts. And I really credit right. Debbie Dennis uh, of Oregon for coming up with that. She was in one of our workshops And because, you know, the procurement process is just one part of the acquisition process from, you know, there is an idea or a need to implementation, project management, oversight, all of that, you know, and the procurement process is kind of, you know, in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, from then bringing in the private sector, uh, we also brought in chief administrators, which um, I believe that most uh, CPOs are in department administration and uh, in states. And about under half of CIOs are uh, as well. So it was really important to get their perspective as well. And so, you know, kind of the next iteration, we thought, well, you know, cybersecurity is just so important and has become, um, you know, more kind of weaved into the fabric of state government. And so we, I know that, you know, NASPO did a great primer on cyber uh, liability insurance. Mm -hmm. And so with some of the higher profile uh, supply chain uh, attacks and things like that over the last several months, we thought this was kind of the next logical uh, step to really talk about, um, you know, cybersecurity. And and I'll say that one of the most 
um, alarming things, or a couple of the alarming things that we found, um, we kind of, we surveyed our CISOs, uh, Chief mm-hmm. Information Security Officers again. And I know y'all uh, spoke with your CPOs as well. Mm-hmm. And what we really found is that, you know, CISOs are not at the table when a lot of these conversations are happening. And this is, um, I got the impression a lot of this was conversations in agencies when agencies kind of start that acquisition process. And so then at the end, cybersecurity just kind of becomes a check the box or um, right. something that isn't planned for or budgeted for. So, um, you know, that's kind of a, a thing that I would bring to everybody's attention. And then also, you know, we know that states don't have a good view into the cybersecurity practices of their private sector partners, yeah. of their vendors. Um, so that's another thing where I see that some evolution really needs to happen in states. In the project, they talk about cybersecurity as a team sport. And so bringing together these CIOs, CPOs, chief administrative, chief administrative officers is part of it. But can you talk just a little bit more about how they worked together? So first, I'll kind of address the first thing you said. When we say cybersecurity is a team sport, um, I've heard uh, a lot of people say before in state government, well, I don't have anything to do with cybersecurity. Or I have quite honestly heard from some of your members in years past that, well, I don't have anything to do with technology, so I don't need to worry about cybersecurity. Um, And like I said, that's a lot of folks in state government who have had that um, kind of that view. And so, you know, with cybersecurity being the nature that it is, everyone is responsible for something. Um, It might just be making sure you take your cybersecurity awareness training, making sure you know not to click on a link. I mean, something as simple as that. No phishing emails. (laughs) Exactly. Don't fall victim. Don't fall victim to those. Yeah. Every time I spot a phishing email from our IT director, I'll email him and I'll be like, you're not going to get me, sir. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's a, that's the cyber nerd in me, but, you know, in talking about how, you know, the part that um, chief administrators and and others played, um, you know, there's some really great chief administrators out there who really understand these issues. Um, in fact, in two states, the chief administrator or head of the administration department is also the CIO. Um, so these issues just really kind of go, uh, hand in hand. And, you know, if, if your readers haven't checked out some of their uh, research, they have a really good uh, yeah. policy person over there, too, and, and Jamie, who does a lot of their work. So now when we're talking about it being a team sport, it can't be it has to be addressed. I know in the report, it mentions, you know, some of your CISOs had, you know, complained or commented that even though, you know, they are who they are, they're not brought in until the end of the acquisition process. And then they're considered holding up the process when after the products are even chosen, they're like, they have red flags. So for you, what does an integrated acquisition process look like for the CISOs and the CPOs? So I'll tell you that a lot of that too um, depends on, as you all know, you know, states are kind of the way that they're set up. They can be a federated model Mm -hmm. where kind of each agency is responsible for their IT Um, In some states, agencies can also be responsible for their own procurement. Um, There's also, you know, organizational models where states are completely consolidated um, or centralized, we call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that becomes, um, you know, we've kind of proven that states are more secure if they're more centralized. And so it becomes easier to integrate all of these things in that sort of environment. But um, there are states who are never going to be centralized. And, you know, we always say you've seen one state. If you've seen one state, (laughs) you've seen one state. Um, uh, But, you know, I think that 
there's been a lack of awareness for many years, kind of how, you know, we were talking earlier about the importance of cybersecurity. Um, and again, I think because traditionally the last however many hundreds of years, you know, if states were procuring maybe a product, there's really not an IT component, you know, 50 or 100 years ago. Right. Um, and so this is new in terms of uh, years of government. Um, and the same thing is true in federal government and, and local government as well. So, um, you know, really, you know, one of the things that we've kind of harped on the last several years with CIOs and CPOs is everybody kind of coming to the table. And really, if a CISO is involved at the very beginning, there's a lot of things a CISO can say, okay, you should check for this, this, and this. You need to make sure that there's, you know, funding in this plan for, mm -hmm these different cybersecurity aspects and things like that. All right. So I know it's in the report, but Meredith, can you go ahead and kind of talk through some of the recommendations that, and, you know, their findings for the report as far as what you would um, recommend for an improved cybersecurity and acquisition integration? Um, well, a couple of them, you know, we really have, we've talked about, but I want to yeah. uh, reiterate because they're important. Sure. Yes. Um, yeah, but uh, again, having everybody uh, have a seat at the table that needs to be at the table, and that is, like I said, something that NASIO and NASPO have really uh, called for a lot. Um, I did mention this, but making sure that cybersecurity is budgeted for at the beginning of the acquisition process, I think that is, I know that a lot of times that's a hang-up, is that at the end of the process, if a CISO has to kind of check a box and a CISO mm -hmm. says, what about these three things, um, and it hasn't been budgeted for, and clearly that's going to create um, some, some issues. Um, you know, other parts of this, and, and this goes back to something that NASIO and NASPO said in 2016, but ensuring that, um, you know, the contract, the process is, is uh, in line with the state's cybersecurity standards and enterprise architecture. And so, you know, quite quickly, enterprise architecture is like, um, it's almost like the state roadmap um, with, you know, making sure that everything is on the same page. So for example, instead of buying 50 separate, whatever, you know, widgets that there's one or two that are integrated with, uh, the plans and the architecture of, uh, of, of the state's technology and cybersecurity. That's a really, um, watered down definition, but that's kind of, you know, I like to say EA enterprise architecture is, is yeah. everything. Sure. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, there's some, uh, you know, information in the, in the publication. And, and we've said this before about how a, um, third-party provider can really be a good partner. Mm -hmm. That is one thing the past, you know, year or so that I've heard during the pandemic that a lot of, uh, if there was already a, a, a partnership in place in the States, that the private sector has been great in really helping states scale up. Um, you know, think about the call centers and the chatbots yes. that really had to be put in place, yeah, within a matter of days. Um, so, you know, that has been, uh, I think that's been a, a really good experience for the mm -hmm. most part in a lot of states. But, you know, as far as the private sector, um, they really have to be open and transparent with the state about their cybersecurity practices. Again, going back to, do you have a culture of cybersecurity yes. where you say that cybersecurity is a team sport, um, and and kind of go uh, and kind of go from there? So those are really the big the big things that I'd like to highlight. Excellent. In the report, one of the quotes that's on the top that I I really like and is intriguing to me is look for partners and not just vendors or suppliers. If you are in the private sector, be a partner instead of simply a vendor or a supplier. What exactly does that mean? 
So that's actually something that we, uh, that we wrote in, I think it was 2018 when we did the publication where we brought in, you know, the private sector. Sure. Um, and I think it's almost like one of those things that, you know, it when you see it. Um, and I think that, uh, there have been, and you guys, I'm sure you talk to your state partners, uh, your state members every single day. And, you know, it's kind of the difference between working with the state on, um, you know, a contract or whatever, as opposed to always, you know, going around the state CIO or the state CPO office yeah. uh, to the governor, to someone else and trying to lobby for something. Um, those are some of the horror stories that we've heard. Right, um, right. And I think, and again, being, like I said a second ago, being transparent in your um, cybersecurity practices, just knowing, um, you know, all the risk that a state carries at the end of the day, um, you know, we talk about this a little bit in, in the publication at the end of the day, a state can never fully transfer risk. They just can't do it. Right. It doesn't matter if you have unlimited liability. It doesn't matter what you put in the contract. At the end of the day, the state is going to be responsible um, for yes. at least something. So, um, you know, there's been a back and forth a lot between states and between um uh, the private sector between who is going to assume all of that risk. And quite honestly, it has to be balanced. Right. Um, so um, I think I just went off on a tangent there again, Kevin, but that's, okay. um, that is no, a you're good, that's a good, a good point for everyone to kind of, to kind of realize that risk is also a team sport, I guess, yeah. and risk yeah, has to be passed around. Yeah. 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 100%. Absolutely. You, you went off on a tangent, but you tied it back beautifully. Yes. I'm, like I'm I, Yes. If I have a point, yes. I promise I do have a point. I'll come back yeah. to it. You know? yeah. yeah, Your eyes just rolled back in your head just a little bit. That's okay. It's true. I blacked out just a tad, but that's okay. <laughs> just, for, just for a second. All right. So, Meredith, let's switch gears quickly and talk about, um, you know, the last, what, year when we had the uh, pandemic. What were some of the implications for the states um, with the future of cybersecurity? And what, like, what were the, some of the changes that had to happen as a result of the pandemic? Um, so a lot, um, <laughs> and, and only, right. And, and mostly, you know, it was, things were already kind of in place, but the scale and the magnitude, yeah. uh, in which states had to respond, that has been, um, the, the biggest thing. And, and from, you know, working from home, um, you know, making sure that it, it's like, if everyone is in the office, right. Um, from a cybersecurity perspective, you kind of know what your um, like threat attack surface is. But when you go out to everyone now working from home, you're looking at home networks. Um, do you right. use a VPN? You know, what do you mm -hmm. use to make sure that that's all secure? And another thing that sounds completely silly, but it's 100% true, is that not every state deployed laptops to their employees. So then it becomes, you know, does an employee take home a state state property? Because in a lot of states, that's, you know, prohibited. Yeah. Do, you know, employees use their own equipment? Also in a lot of states, uh, yeah. in almost every state prohibits like using your phone to, um, to, um, you know, get state to get on the state network. So right. there was a lot of things um, about, you know, with that, there was also from uh, the procurement process, you know, a lot of um, emergency executive orders were put in place by the governors mm -hmm. and which enabled states to really stand up a lot of these things that we were talking about. Yeah. So, you know, as far as kind of what might continue, um, I can tell you 100% that states will not go back to everybody working in the office. I mean, yeah. every single CIO yeah. 
that I've talked to, you know, in fact, I talked to one uh, earlier today that, you know, they're going, they're reducing their uh, space before the pandemic to now what they're going to have is only 25% of what they had. And they're going to have a hoteling, you know, type of atmosphere. And I think that that's probably going to be true uh, across a lot of, you know, a lot of sectors. Um, And so, you know, this securing work from home um, is going to become the norm, I think. And different collaboration platforms. I mean, think about all the things at the beginning of the pandemic, we heard about Zoom bombing um, and other (laughs) unfortunate incidents. Um, You know, we really had to make sure that everything is secure. So I think, you know, work from home is here to stay. I hope that some of the things that were put into place during the emergency uh, orders and procurement processes. I hope some of that can stay mm-hmm. because from what I've heard, a lot of things have worked really well. Um, but I just kind of, uh, I'm really kind of looking forward to the future and seeing how this all does play out because I just think that our lives are never going to go back to completely how it was pre-pandemic. I have, have to agree with you there, Meredith. I know we've done a number of surveys on our own membership on what their future work working, you know, space looks like, and it's either hybrid or fully remote. So, right. And you know, the other for the CIOs, (laughs) it will. And I'll just say one thing I should have said earlier, sorry, is that, you know, a lot of states, um, only have workers that live within the state. And so what this does is kind of open up where there are talent gaps and talent shortages, because, you know, bless Mm -hmm. them. Some of the state capitals are not in, cities where, you know, a lot of people want to live. And I can say that about some states that are close to me. Um, True. So, and if you think about, you know, cybersecurity talent in particular, um, you know, states are competing with the federal government for their workforce. They're competing definitely with the private sector who can pay more. So, um, you know, I really hope that states kind of open up some of their rules. Uh, And there's a handful of states where it's actually a law that um, employees can't live without, can't live outside of the state. Wow. So um, for some of these specialized, yeah, it is. I didn't Uh, know that. mm -hmm. So for some of the specialized, uh, you know, areas, and I think cybersecurity, it's one where, you know, really nationally we have negative employment. Yeah. There's not enough people to fill all the jobs. So um, I saw negative employment, negative employment. And when it's one of the biggest growing sectors. Right. Most so important more, ones in this generation. Right. Absolutely. Right. So for all of the high school kids listening, and I know that's a big percentage of your yeah, population. Mostly high school. Mostly high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gen, um, Gen Z high school. Their business teachers making them watch. Listen yeah. Right. Right. Um, get a degree in cybersecurity, y'all. It's an excellent growing field. So many things you can do. You will always have a job. And that is the old person in me giving advice to the younger generation. Much uh, like I did with Kevin years ago. Yep. There you go. And now look at me. I'm I'm producing the podcast that you Gen you Zers have listen. come so far. Yes. yes. <clears throat> yeah. And Meredith, where can our listeners go to find this report? So it is on. I think it's on NASPA's website as well. I'm not sure, but on uh, NASIO's website, when you just go to the resource center, there's this giant button at the top. You can't miss it. That's where all of our publications are. Um, And if you're interested in any publications that we've talked about here from 2016 to today, the ones that we've done together, uh, you can actually filter by the topic procurement on NASIO's website and read everything. And, you know, happy to talk to anybody if they have questions or comments or anything like that. And we'll make sure we put 
all those resources in the description for this podcast so people can exactly. go or ask questions. And Meredith, before we let you go, oh, I'm stealing this one from you, okay. sorry. Meredith, before we let you go, what is some advice you would give to our listeners? Not just the This could be professional advice. advice. Not just the high school. Like, yeah. Well, that's yeah. the biggest part of your demographic. So, yeah. so you know, keep, that, that. keep that in mind. But no, this can be a personal advice or just anything that you know or learn want to shout out. Um, so I will say that the thing that I've learned over the last year, you know, people used to talk about work-life balance all the time. And I kind of thought that was kind of BS because our lives are our lives. Um, but it has been um, forced upon us with working sure. from home. There is <laughs> yeah. no delineation. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't love it at first. I'm going to be honest, as everybody can tell, I'm a ridiculous uh, extrovert, but I really like it now. And um, it has actually helped me um, kind of create more um, boundaries between making sure you take time off. And, um, you know, I, sometimes I tell my people, like, I just want to sit and stare at the wall and be able to think about things for a little mm -hmm. bit. So, um, you know, I saw this meme last week that basically was comparing, you know, the culture in Europe to taking a vacation, which is people take off the whole month of August and it's totally mm -hmm. acceptable. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, people in the United States, it's like, I'm getting kidney surgery. I will be out for two hours. You can reach me by my <laughs> cell phone any time of day. And it's like, oh man, you know, most of us are not curing cancer. You know, we're really yeah. not. So, uh, take, take some time off, uh, go travel and see a world and. There you go. That's my advice. That's, that's, that's great good advice. advice any. Yeah. yeah. All right. So thank you, Meredith, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate all of your words of wisdom and everything that you have to offer us. And we look forward to having you back on the pod soon. Right, Kevin? Absolutely. Yes. Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod forever. That's right. Thank you all. Amanda, please make sure Kevin behaves, okay? I will. I always That's keep my advice check. to you. <laughs> thank you. No way. <laughs> Won't happen. I ain't never going to behave, Meredith. You should know that better than most. What an interesting lady. Wonderful conversation. Talking about cybersecurity as a team sport. Very interesting notion. Perhaps more relevant now, more than ever. Have you ever had that thought? Nah, I don't know. I don't have anything to do with cybersecurity or technology in general. Well, that is not true. Especially in this post-COVID world we live in where the tech piece is so prevalent. What do you think? Have you ever had these thoughts? What are your experiences with this topic lately? Maybe you're worried about your state's cybersecurity infrastructure. We would love to hear about it from you. Email us with your questions and comments at podcast.naspo.org. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get them sweet listenings. And make sure to check out the NASPO blog, pulse.naspo.org, and catch up on some procurement articles written by your very own NASPO staff. I'm Kevin Miner. Until next time. <laughs>